I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to the fourth edition of episode 22 in the AIC Bible Study video series, New Testament Gospels. In this episode, I continue discussion of unique content in the Gospel of St. Luke. In this episode, we also discuss the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist that immediately precedes the start of his ministry in Galilee. At the end of the episode, I'll point out where material presented in episode 22 is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated. The next unique account is Jesus' address to the disciples on the subject of spiritual light in Luke 11, verses 33 to 36. The time is late fall in 29 AD, not long after the encounter with Mary and Martha at Bethany discussed in episode 21, and just after a confrontation with a group of Pharisees who demanded that he give them a sign, also recorded in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 42. The lesson is similar to one found in Matthew 5:16, spoken just after the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The illustration is The Light of the World, an oil on canvas by William Holman Hunt, painted between 1851 and 1856 A.D. from the collection of the Manchester Art Gallery, Manchester, England. The text of St. Luke's account of Jesus' address is part of the inspiration for the institution of the season of Advent, celebrated as the coming of light into darkness and introduced into the Anglican Church calendar by Archbishop Cranmer with the publication of the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. The lesson in this reading is not about the literal light, such as that which shines from candlesticks and lampstands, but about spiritual light. It should be read in conjunction with St. Luke's account of the Song of Zacharias, or the Benedictus, the first of four songs in St. Luke's Gospel, and in which the divine purpose of the birth of John the Baptist and the Incarnation is explained in the final three verses, 77 to 79. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The illustration is a detail from a 20th century fresco at the Greek Orthodox Church of Jerusalem with scenes of the circumstances of the birth of John the Baptist, which was discussed in episode 13. 
In the early 5th century, St. Cyril of Alexandria put the lesson in the context of Old Testament understanding of the struggle against spiritual darkness, meaning Satan, who, he said, ruled the world before the Incarnation. The birth of Jesus, he said, was an act of the Father who sent his Son to be a lamp to the world to illumine us with divine light. The quotation is the text as printed in Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture, New Testament, Volume 3. The illustration is a circa 12th century fresco of St. Cyril at Cora Church, Constantinople, now Istanbul, Turkey. The next unique content in the Gospel of St. Luke is the woe to the Pharisees encounter described in Luke 11, 37-54. The encounter, with different details, is similar to the extended confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees recorded in Matthew chapter 23. The illustration for this sequence is the full-size version plus selected details from Woe Unto You, Scribes and Pharisees, a late 19th century interpretation by James T. So, presented in opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper from his Life of Christ series in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. St. Luke wrote in verse 37 that, quote, As he, meaning Jesus, spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Immediately, the Pharisee found fault with Jesus in verse 38, criticizing him for not, quote, washing, unquote, before dinner. For modern ears, it should be noted that this dispute is not a parallel to the modern idea of a 20-second hand washing with soap and warm water. It is, as Jesus noted, about the Pharisees' excessive concern with pious ritual and about the absence of true spirituality. Jesus addressed them directly in verse 39b, 40, and 41. Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness, foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, than all things are clean to you. The series of accusations which follow, which are in verses 42 to 52, and which are directed to both the Pharisees and the lawyers, meaning experts in Mosaic law, are quite similar to those in St. Matthew's account of a later confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees. His later accusations against the scribes in Luke 20, 46, and the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector are discussed in episode 20. Here, the major accusations are that they practice ritual tithing, but they still quote, pass by justice and the love of God, in verse 42, their fondness for the best seats in the synagogue, from verse 43, their love of being seen and greeted in the marketplaces, also in 43, with more specific charges in verses 46 to 52, including their loading men with impossible burdens while avoiding such burdens themselves, in verse 46, their habit of building tombs for the same prophets which their fathers had killed and willing knowledge that such deeds 
violated the will of God in verse 48, and sanctioning murder, referring to the blood of the killing of Zechariah in the temple, referred to in verses 49 to 51. And finally, the boldest accusation reserved for verse 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering you hindered. In verse 52, Jesus is in effect accusing the Pharisees and the lawyers of blocking the people from the key of David which in Latin is clavis David, it is an allusion to knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the first five centuries of the church, both St. Jerome of Jerusalem, translator of the Bible into Latin, commonly called the Vulgate Bible, and St. Cyril of Alexandria wrote about the key of David. The interpretation was formally incorporated into the Christian liturgies in the 12th century in the Great O Antiphon's office for the last seven days of Advent. It is mentioned in the fifth verse of the Christian hymn from the same time period, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. In verses 53 and 54, St. Luke provides a unique narration as a transition from the direct confrontation with a single Pharisee to the coming broader conflict between Jesus and the religious establishment at Jerusalem. As he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, laying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. The illustration is a Byzantine illumination, St. Luke writing his gospel from a manuscript started in the 10th century at Constantinople and added to in the 12th century from manuscript Bernie 19, folio 101V, in the collection of the British Library, London, England. Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees is continued in chapter 12, in which the audience is now a large group of people who have followed him. St. Luke does not specify a location. Bible historians theorize that it was somewhere in Judea or Perea. The initial comments were directed to the disciples with this warning against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in verses 2 and 3, plus more on the concept of spiritual light. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the rooftops. As St. Luke's account continues in verses 4 and 5, Jesus expresses the Christian doctrine that the only path to the Father is through him, elevates the Holy Spirit's place in the hierarchy of heaven, and offers divine wisdom on the Christian doctrine concerning the concept of fear of the Lord. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. 
Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. The messages are that the body is earthly and that damage to one's earthly body is less important than preserving the opportunity for life in the everlasting kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In verses 6 and 7, the theme is reinforced with Jesus reminding listeners of the ability of God to know the slightest details of one's life. According to the NKJV Study Bible, the copper coins mentioned in verse 6 are the smallest coins then in circulation, equaling about one-sixteenth of a day's wages. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do you not fear, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. In the next group of verses, 8, 9, and 10, Jesus speaks more divine wisdom that is the basis of Christian doctrine. Three key terms in these verses are confession, denial, and blasphemy. Confession, in this case, means agreement that Jesus is the Son of God and is a term used frequently with the same meaning in the seasonal collects in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. The Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed are both forms of public confession of one's belief in essential doctrines of Christianity. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. The concepts of confession and denial are linked to an even stronger one, blasphemy in verse 10, in which Jesus offers instruction concerning the unforgivable sin. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. The English word blasphemy comes from the Greek blasphemio, which means to defame or to deny or to rail against. The most equivalent Hebrew Old Testament word is berak, which also means cursing of God or denial of God. The Old Testament punishment for blaspheming God was death. You'll find that in Leviticus 12, verses 15 and 16, and Exodus 20, verse 7. It may seem strange to some, but Jesus is saying in the above verses that the unforgivable sin is not denial of him, which will be dealt with at the judgment, but of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will not be forgiven. The same phrase is used in Matthew 12:32, following the Pharisees' accusation that Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub. The Orthodox Study Bible New Testament and Psalms explains this form of denial as being the same as the Old Testament concept of hardness of heart. Traditional Christian interpretation has been that forgiveness of speaking a word against the Son can be forgiven 
by those who once denied but now believe, such as the Jews who denied him but then repented and became Christians. Jesus returns again in verse 11 and 12 to the theme of fearing God and not the Pharisees, lawyers, and scribes, mentioned in verses 4 and 5 and 11 and 12. His words suggest the persecution that is to come after his ascension. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are from other episodes in this Bible study video series, New Testament Gospels. The Parable of the Good Samaritan is discussed in episode 17. St. John's account of Jesus' I am the light of the world declaration in episode 31. And St. John's theme of light versus darkness in episode 40. From the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, the 1928 Book of Common Prayer Saints, in addition to several of the names mentioned in the list of the 70, St. John is the focus of episode 4, Matthew of episode 14, and Luke of episode 15. From the second series, St. Jerome is the focus of episode 24, and Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, who was one of three English martyrs, is celebrated in episode 28. In the Christian Education video series, The Nicene Creed, the text is presented and illustrated in eight episodes. And in the seasonal video series, The Great O Antiphons for Advent Season, the theme word for December 21st is O Clavis David, for December 22nd, O Orions, for December 24th, O Emmanuel. For both series, the video versions are linked from the digital library page with podcast versions from the podcast archive page. From the AIC Bookstore publication, the Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated, in chapters 11 and 12, Jesus' instruction of spiritual light and hypocrisy, blasphemy and confession, his criticism of the Pharisees, and the spiritual meaning of the phrase, fear of the Lord. From Layman's Lexicon, words and phrases of interest are Apostles' Creed, fear of the Lord, heart, heaven, Holy Spirit, light, Nicene Creed, Satan, sin, son of man, and Vulgate. In Revelation, an idealist interpretation, Jesus as the light of the New Jerusalem in chapter 21 is discussed on pages 173 to 182 with the text box created versus uncreated light found on page 181. The same material is presented and illustrated in episode 27 of the AIC Bible Study Video Series, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation. In Beliefs of the Anglican Church, the Sacraments of the Church are discussed on pages 66 to 75 
with penance slash confession on pages 69 to 71. In the St. Chrysostom hymnal, the 12th century Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is hymn number two. You can hear it sung and accompanied by a church organ in episode seven in the Great O Antiphons for Advent series with the episode linked on both the video and podcast formats. Finally, there's Father Ron's blog using links at the top and bottom of each page. Entries usually include an illustration. By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can qualify to receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. We do not share email information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 22. Next time in episode 23, I will continue the discussion of unique content in the Gospel of St. Luke, beginning with St. Luke's account of Jesus' moral discourses in Luke 12, verses 13 to 59. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.